The reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I write about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he, after this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky where he, as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Right, we, as Luke said, we're into the book of Acts and um, we're beginning a new series today which I'm sure we'll kind of do bits of and then have a break and then come back to over the coming weeks and months. And uh, just so that you know, before we get right into the details, let me just paint the, uh, paint the picture of what we saw at the beginning of Acts in the reading that Ian just brought to us. In the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you've got the story of Jesus' life. We see what he says and what he did. We see his death and then his resurrection. But that's the end of the, the kind of earthly life and ministry of Jesus. The book of Acts ha- starts at the beginning as Jesus is gone. And in our verses today, we saw the ascension of Jesus. So there's a, a period of 40 days after Jesus has risen back from the dead when Jesus appeared to lots of, different, uh, lots of his disciples at different times and in different places. That happens for 40 days, but then he ascends to the Father, never to be physically here on earth again until his return. And that's what, uh, and then the book of Acts picks things up from uh, after that. So that's what we're in. That's the series that we're about to begin uh, and what we're doing. So let me start. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Where do those words come from? Pride and Prejudice and the pen of... Jane Austen. They're the very first words of that book, Pride and Prejudice, and they set the whole thing up. Uh, Many of the key themes and ideas that will be so important as the reader keeps going through Pride and Prejudice are brought up in the very first few lines. We know that it's going to be about a single guy and a a wife and there's a fortune involved and all those kind of things. Uh, Here's another, first line from another book. All children, except for one, grow up. Who's that? J.M. Barry and the book is 
Peter Pan. Again, in only a few words, we see themes that will play out in the rest of the book. The uniqueness of Peter Pan, except for one. The inevitability and the pain of change and growing up, all there at the start. Or uh, here's one of my favourites. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub and he almost deserved it. (laughs) That's C.S. Lewis uh, with the first line of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader and we straight away meet Eustace Clarence Scrub who you can tell right from the beginning is going to be fairly unlikable and unbearable and yet even at the beginning there's a hint that he may be redeemable. Uh, He almost deserved it. We're used to opening words at the beginning uh, setting things up for what will come. They help set the scene, they help set the tone, they help set uh, up what's going to come afterwards. And so today as we begin this new series in the book of Acts, we come to the opening verses and we should expect that we're going to see major themes, major motifs which will play out over the coming weeks as we delve deeper into the book uh, over the coming days. Now because this morning we're setting things up, uh, giving a kind of introduction as a whole, we won't be spending as much time in the text as we would normally. We're thinking about things more broadly but hopefully this will be helpful as we begin the series. Uh, Acts itself is a a very long book, if you've ever read it, 28 chapters. It's written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel Luke, the one that stands in his name. You can see in verse 1, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Chris preached from the beginning of Luke's Gospel, and we saw that Luke's Gospel is written to a person called Theophilus. Well, so is Acts. See it there in verse 1. And Acts is clearly the second book. He talks about his former one, which is Luke. Or it's the second part of one whole book, Luke and Acts kind of together. Uh, And Luke itself is pretty long. So when you put Luke's Gospel next to the 28 chapters of Acts, it makes up those two books about 25% of the New Testament. In fact, Luke is the, uh, the, the human author that contributes the most to the New Testament, more than Paul or anyone else, just in those uh, two books. We don't know a huge amount about Luke. It's a verse in Colossians that tells us he was a doctor, and in 2 Timothy and Philemon, we see verses which reveal that Luke is a co-worker, a co-traveller, companion with Paul. And you see that later on in the book of Acts. Because later, uh, in later chapters when we get there, there are times when you're reading Acts where it changes from the normal third-person plural, they went up the hill, to first-person plural, we went up the hill. And it's at those times you can tell that Luke, who's writing it, was actually there with them as part of the companion of Paul and the others doing ministry. And it's clear um, uh, that's what's going on. We're in for a treat, I think, with Acts. It's full of incredible things, incredible events and incidents. We're going to witness city riots and miraculous healings. We're going to meet remarkable people, some of whom will have their lives completely turned upside down. We will witness celebration and despair. We will see uh, bacon dreams. Mm, Bacon dreams. We will see people struck down dead immediately. We will be challenged by some of the things we see. We will be comforted by some of the things we we see. We'll encounter triumph and painful loss as we go through this book. It's not going to be dull. We're going to come across famous events, well-known events like Saul on the road to Damascus being converted, but we're also going to come across less well-known events like Eutychus being raised from the dead. Everyone knows about Lazarus. No one ever remembers Eutychus being raised from the dead. We're going to spend time with familiar people that we know very well, like Peter and Paul, but we're also going to spend time with less-known people, like Felix and Festus and Agrippa. 
So we're going to be looking at incredible events and noteworthy people as we move through the book. But perhaps more significantly, what we're going to be seeing is how the good news of Jesus changed human history. I'm going to say that again because it's not just a book full of one-off exciting incidents and occasions and things. This is how the good news of Jesus Christ changed human history. That's the story more than anything else we will be seeing as we go through this book. Because what Acts does is it tells us how the course of human history was changed. It tells us how the world that you and I live in today is the way that it is. Because in the Gospels, you've got this man, Jesus Christ, traveling around doing these incredible teachings and uh, incredible things, but then he dies, he's raised, he spends a bit more time with his disciples, but then he's gone. But Acts will say how the news about him and the message about him will sweep the globe and change the world to such an extent that the world that you you and I live in today is so different than what could have been envisaged back then. Jesus was a a kind of nobody, in a nobody place, doing nobody things before he did his ministry. And yet today, the dating system of our planet revolves around him. 2017 is not just a number, that's the number of years since Jesus was born. Imagine the the ways that he's affected our world today. His birth and death are part of the annual rhythms of most of this planet. Christmas and Easter are part of the kind of seasons of life that we have. In most places around the globe that you go, you will find churches dedicated to him. You will find not just buildings, but people who've given up careers or financial benefits or taken on huge uh, sacrifices or trials to put living for him first. His name is the most well-known name of all time. No one else has a name that is on on the one hand revered and worshipped and on the other hand used as a curse word, but it's used. The history of this world and the world of history was changed after Jesus and it's the book of Acts that shows how that happened. It's the book of Acts that shows how we got to where we're at today. This is the bigger picture that I want us to keep in mind as we, we work bit by bit through the book. You and I are literally here today because of what went on in Acts. And this is how the message of Jesus went out. This is how the message, the good news of Jesus Christ went out and transformed lives and changed families and life on this planet changed forever. Which immediately, of course, raises the question as to how. How did this happen? From just this one person in a backwater who did a few things. How did it kind of sweep the globe How did people find out about it and it changed the history of the world before the printing press or the internet, before cell phones and texts and Skype? How did the Christian message get out in such a powerful way that it changed the direction of this planet? And in this opening section of Acts, we see the two reasons, how and why. And the first one is, it happened because of the apostles. First reason, the apostles. This all happens in one sense because of the apostles. In verse 2, John, if we can see it, we see that these men, uh, these apostles, were chosen by Jesus. And these verses show that not only were they chosen by him, they were commissioned by him. That's the language of uh, verse 8, to be witnesses of Jesus. They're to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so in a sense, these people, these initial apostles change everything. It was their word of mouth that spread things. It was as they shared what Jesus had done and what it meant to them. 
And as they put witnessing to Jesus, number one in their lives and focused on that above anything else in their lives, that's what changed things. It was as they sometimes left their homes never to return and as they travelled out into the unknown, as they risked safety and ease of life, all for Jesus. It was as they spoke, not just about the close game of rugby last night or, or, but, or educational politics or the cathedral, but about Jesus, as that was the centre of what they lived and spoke about. In a very real way, the apostles were responsible. And notice they had a specific job description here. They are to be witnesses of Jesus. That's their job, to be witnesses. And that word is important. When you think of witness, I don't know what it draws up for you, but for me it's the courtroom. Someone who's seen something and then is asked to give testimony about what they've seen. That's what the apostles are. In other words, the apostles were to be people who saw certain events and then shared of those events with people that they came into contact with. They were to see certain things and talk about them. And what were the key events they had to see and then share with people? Well, it's here in these first 11 verses. The resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. That's what the apostles were to see with their own eyes and then talk about and share and give witness to for the rest of their lives. Did you pick up all the language in these verses uh, of the senses, of seeing, hearing, uh, even tasting? There's a lot of sensing language in these verses. Look, at the, look, look, at, look out for it. Verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. This is them seeing him raised from the dead. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave this verbal command. You see the sense language. Then it's the same at the end of our reading with the ascension. Have a look at verse 9. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky. And then in verse 11 again, uh, halfway through the verse, it says looking into the sky, and at the end of the verse, seeing him go into heaven. Do you see the emphasis is on what they saw, what they heard, what they tasted, what they touched, what they witnessed? What would possibly give people the motivation and the courage and the strength to spend the rest of their lives telling people about Jesus, going through what they went through because of Jesus, at, for, at their own risk and their own peril. At the end of John's Gospel, when uh, Jesus has died, how do we find the disciples? They are a ragtag group. They are in fear for their lives. They've lost their leader, the one they've followed for three years. They've seen him executed in front of their eyes and they're meeting behind locked doors in fears for their life. They've lost all confidence and all hope. What transformed them, possibly transformed them, into people who burst open those doors, walked out into the world boldly and did not care what consequences they met anymore? What changed that? And it kept them going, not just initially for a couple of days until they'd run out of puff, it kept them going for the rest of their days, for the rest of their life, day after day, week after week, year after year, until they died. Something sustained them through those hard times. 
when life had got hard and when the ups and downs hit them. And for many of them, they went to their deaths precisely because they wouldn't shut up about what they were witnessing to, because they would not stop talking about it. They would not change their story. What could possibly motivate that kind of behaviour? Because they had seen with their own eyes, death conquered. Because they had witnessed with their own senses, the grave opened. And the one that stood before them was the Lord of life and death. They'd seen it. They'd spoken with him. They'd eaten with him. You don't forget that. They had seen him. Some people say, was, do you think the ascension was literal? Absolutely it was literal. They'd seen him rise to the heavens before their eyes. That's what sustained them. That's what kept them going. That's what strengthened them. It's the only explanation for the doggedness, the devotion, the determination of the apostles. They knew now that death wasn't the end. Only seeing Jesus rise from the dead and ascend to the Father could cause that. So the apostles are the first reason why the rest of this book happens and why the, the rest of the history of the world has changed. The apostles. But there's a second reason as well, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The apostles don't work alone. They're not left to their own devices to go and do things. Uh, have a look at verse 4. Jesus says to them, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John, that's John the Baptist, baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And then he picks up on it again, did you see in verse 7? Verse 7 he says, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They will receive the power of the Spirit. And we're going to focus on the, the gift of the Spirit when we get to Pentecost in a couple of weeks in chapter 2. But today, all we need to see is this is the other reason that Acts happens. This is the other reason that the, world, the history of the world changed and was turned upside down. Because it wasn't just capable apostles who were dedicated and passionate and convincing. It was dedicated apostles who were passionate, convincing, dedicated, but who had the Spirit of God working in them and through them. We find through the book of Acts, God working in and through people, changing hearts, convicting people, filling people, sanctifying people by his Spirit. The Holy Spirit's mentioned over 50 times in the book of Acts. You don't get a huge amount about the Spirit in the Gospels. In the book of Acts, you do. We will see the Spirit regenerating. We will see the Spirit directing. We will see the Spirit moving people from darkness to light and from death to life. The Spirit will be huge in this book. And so two factors at work in the book of Acts and in changing the history and course of the world, the apostles and the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. With that in mind, what should the title of the book be? Remember, the title is not part of the original. It's not part of the inspired word of God. Uh, it's a man-made title, so we're allowed to change it. We're allowed to kind of tinker with it uh, as much as we want. And Acts, remember, is the abbreviated title. What's the actual title? Acts of the Apostles. But some have argued, well, is that the right title? Shouldn't it be called Acts of the Holy Spirit? And I've made a case for both. Who, who votes for apostles? No, we won't do a poll, poll vote. Um, it, should it be one or the other? Should it be apostles or Holy Spirit? Or 
is it a bit like chicken and the egg and you can kind of mount a convincing argument for both and we, uh, I, I want to give you a different alternative. Not either of those two. And I realise it's too late to get much traction with the Bible translators today. I don't think this is going to catch on, but I do think this, my, my suggestion has got importance for the way we read the rest of the book. Look again with me to the first verse. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Do you see that? What the Luke's Gospel is, is about what Jesus began to do and teach and now I'm moving on to what Jesus continues to do and teach. That's the clear implication of what Luke writes at the beginning of his book. And that is why I think, there's an odd thing with Luke and Acts, How does the book of Luke finish? What's the last thing that happens? Chris preached on it last week, so it's all fresh in our minds. What's the last thing that happens in the book of Luke? The ascension of Jesus. That's what happens at the end. Jesus ascends. And so you might think, well, the book of Acts, which is the second part, will pick up after that and show what happens. But Luke doesn't pick up after that. He goes back before it to have it again. Because he wants the ascension at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and at the beginning of Jesus' heavenly ministry. It's the ministry of Jesus that is continuing. His earthly ministry of salvation and redemption on the cross is finished. There's no doubt about that. But his heavenly ministry done through his people and through his spirit is just about to begin and carry on. And so my title of the book of Acts would be The Continuing Acts of Jesus Through His Apostles and the Power of the Holy Spirit. Not the catchiest title. I admit that that's not the catchiest title but more accurate, I think, to the teaching of Acts. It's the continuing acts of Jesus through his apostles in the power of his spirit. Because as important as the apostles and the spirit are in this book, and I hope I've showed that both are crucial, the central message of this book and the heart of the message and the mission that would go out and change the world is Jesus Christ crucified and risen. The news of him is the thing that will heal the broken and bring forgiveness to the sinful and rest for the weary. The apostles and the spirits' work is to bring people to Jesus, to show people their need for him, to allow people to love him and follow him, to make people like him. It is this work that we're going to see as we go through the book of Acts. It's this work that has changed the history of the world. That's what we're going to see with this book as we go through it. And these are the themes and the motifs that will play out. Like with Pride and Prejudice or Peter Pan or The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, here are the, in the opening words, are the kind of key things that we'll see play out in the rest of our studies. So then as I draw to a close with this kind of broad introduction to the book, what should we do as a result of what we've seen? Because really what we've seen is what happened and why it's happened and that. What should we do as a result of what's happened? Well, if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus, or you're not following him, or you haven't quite made up your mind, or you've got a foot in one boat or the other boat, can you see from just these verses, there is nothing more important in your life than following Jesus. Because he's the only source of genuine life in this world. He's the only source of true peace that lasts. The only hope for forgiveness or rest in this world comes in Jesus. Who he is and what he's done is so important, these apostles gave up their whole lives to dedicate to telling people about him. 
and the Spirit of God himself comes down to earth and works in people because Jesus is so important and the only way uh, for life uh, and hope in this world. And so I'm saying to you this morning, if that's you, don't waste your time on anything else that is more trivial. Jesus is the most important thing. He's the one that's defeated death. He's the one that's brought about forgiveness of sin. He's the one that's guaranteed a hope for the future. It's an awful place to live in this world if you think it's just going to carry on the way it is now. But even in these verses, Jesus is set, we've been told Jesus will return. That changes the whole of history. It changes it. But there's no hope outside him. It's him that gives a peace and assurance possible for people in this world. It's him that uh, allows us to know that there is a new creation ahead which is so much better than the world that you and I live in. That's yours in Jesus. That's why you need him. Most important thing, dedicate yourself to him. If you're not sure where you stand with him, talk to someone about him this morning. Come and see me afterwards. We'll chat about it up here. But you need to follow him. But for the rest of us who do know Jesus, what, what are we to do? Well, I hope you can see that in a secondary sense, and it is a secondary sense, but in a secondary sense, you and I are to fulfil verse 8 as well. Now, don't misunderstand me. This passage is primarily about those original eyewitnesses, the one who saw and heard and tasted and touched and the task that they did. In fact, one of the, the major problems some people have when they read the book of Acts is they forget they're reading narrative, which is describing what's happened, and they suddenly think that it's prescribing what Christians should do and experience today. No, no, this is narrative. This is what did happen. We don't necessarily, some of the things will be the same, but some of them will be very different. Next week, we're going to look at uh, how you choose a, a member of vestry when you lose one. Well, you cast lots. No, you don't. It's describing what happened, not prescribing what we must do. But in, with verse 8, the whole rest of the New Testament says that this is our job as well, not just those original people. You and I are to be called witnesses of Jesus in the power of the Spirit to the ends of the earth. That's what must define you and I. That's our primary identity and role in this world until the Lord Jesus comes or until we're taken to be with him. That we are his witnesses in this world in the power of the Spirit. We are people who haven't necessarily, we haven't seen it with our own eyes, but we've heard and believed and in our hearts and we share that with the world around us. That is our greatest responsibility and our most wonderful privilege. Last week, if you were here, Chris said that all humans have got a desire to be part of a great story. We want to be part of something and this is it. This is us. This is our part in the great work of God throughout the ages. God started it back after Jesus rose with his apostles and the power of the Spirit going out and changing the world and he's continuing to change the world by his people and his Spirit today. That's you and I. That's our role and task. The same Jesus who ascended to the Father is continuing to do his acts, continuing acts, good catchy title that, uh, in, through his people in, in the power of the Spirit. That's incredible, isn't it? Mind-blowing that the sovereign God would choose to use you and I as weak, kind of frail vessels to help him do his work in the world. And yet he does. That is our responsibility. That is our privilege. Incredible that the Lord above uses weak people like you and I to move other people in the world from death to life, and yet he does. 
It's humbling to know that we're God's fellow workers. Our main task as individuals and as a a church family is to be Jesus' witness in this world, in every aspect of life. How is your life as a witness to Jesus, to those around? It's a sobering thought, isn't it? How is the speech that comes out of our mouth, how is that as a witness to the Lord Jesus? in the way we put others first, not selfish like the world around us, in the way that we spend our time and money, in the way that we pray, in the way we try and learn our faith so that we can share it more effectively with others. Do we see it? Is that number one in our lives? And I'll finish with this. We want to be witnesses in the world in a way that avoids, I think, the mistakes that the apostles... There's two mistakes, I think, in these few verses that the apostles make at either end of the spectrum that I think we should take warning from as we try and be uh, faithful witnesses in the world. I don't know if you saw it as we went through. In verse 6, they know that Jesus is going to be leaving them. They know that everything's happened. And do you see the question the apostles asked Jesus? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And it's clear from Jesus' answer, they're thinking in the wrong way. Their view is too small. They're just thinking about here and now and present and material and their vision isn't big enough. And Jesus said, no, 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 you're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They've got to think more spiritual and eternal and bigger. They're too focused on the here and now, too local. But at the end of the verses, after the ascension, you see almost the opposite problem where we find two people dressed in white who I take it are angels And they chide the disciples for what? For gazing up into the sky. I think the symbolism's pretty clear. I don't think I'm reading too much into it. For being too heavily minded to be any earthly good. Very good warning there of two extremes that we can get into uh, as we witness of Jesus in this world. For some of us, we're so focused on the here and the now and the present and the material, we forget God's bigger picture and spreading the good news of the saving work of the Lord Jesus. To simply do social justice or community developments, never enough in and of itself. It's good things and we must be involved in it, but it's never enough. It's bigger. It's to the ends of the earth. It's about life and death and the new creation. It needs to be bigger than just the here and the now. But some of us are so caught up in the big and the now, so caught up in the pure doctrine and the pure theology, we don't love people in the here and the now. I think there's a good balance in, this, uh, in these verses of how we're to witness to the Lord Jesus. And it's the ascension that reminds us of that because the ascension r- reminds us that we follow the one who had an earthly ministry and a heavenly ministry. The one who walked on this earth with real people dealing with problems in front of him and loved people but also came to do the bigger work, the eternal work of bringing people to salvation and letting them know their heavenly father. Do we love Jesus? in such a way that we're that kind of witness to the world around us, to our families, our friends, our workmates, our classmates. How are you and I as a witness to our Saviour? I pray that Jesus would be our motivation, that he'd be our desire, that he'd be our heartbeat as individuals but also as a church family, that we would love the privilege that's ours to witness of him to this world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this uh, wonderful chance just to take a step back and to think about the book of Acts and the way the good news of Jesus has changed this world. 
And uh, I pray that in the midst of a world where often it's, it's kind of dark and depressing and we can think, oh no, it's all hopeless and lost, uh, the book of Acts will be a reminder that you are still at work changing lives, bringing life, bringing hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the incredible privilege of working alongside you in that ministry. Father, I pray for any here this morning that are not following Jesus first and foremost. And I pray that you may continue to work in their head and heart as they think about their life and what it's about. And they may see all that you've done for them through your son and put following him first. But for the rest of us, Lord, please help us more and more. Be witnesses of you in this world that bring you honour and glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.